Welcome to Different from the Other Kids, a weekly podcast for parents of challenging children with your host, Angela Sunis, author of the Amazon best-selling book, Different from the Other Kids. Each week, Angela interviews an individual or professional within the mental health community. Please welcome with me the lovely, the talented Tash. She is a manager of mental health and justice uh, in one of their programs there. She's a staff of between any given time of 15 to 20 people. Uh, she deals with addictions, justice issues, uh, is a program developer, a psych consultant, and clinical supervisor. How does she do that, you ask, and still stay sane? That is a really challenging job. Um, I know, I think it was two years ago, uh, Tash spent um, most of a winter in an ashram, uh, which is basically a place where people go uh, to live separately from the rest of society and practice the Hindu religion. She is a yoga instructor. The reason I bring up yoga is twofold. This is a frontline worker here who is dealing with a lot in a day. Uh, they're understaffed, underserviced, and they have a lot of uh, challenges out there in uh, the city of Toronto in trying to help these people. And this is one of the ways that Tash manages. She's a yoga instructor. So I wanted to present just a little bit about yoga for our parents and um, some of the younger people here. I think it is a great thing that can certainly help to alleviate stress for the challenge kids and for the parents. Part of what you're wanting to do with uh, yoga is uh, to calm uh, your brain, to stay in the moment, um, and to use your breathing when things get difficult. As a kid, you want to work through a tough homework problem, an argument with a parent, maybe. Uh, you got to try and focus on your breathing, and you'll be surprised with how much better you'll deal in those situations. Uh, for kids specifically, uh, some of the great ways that you can use it is uh, do it before a test. Uh, you can do it while you're studying. A few simple yoga moves to help relax in areas that may become tense while you're studying. And before bed, that would be a really big one. It can help you to relax, especially if you've got a lot on your mind. They tend to be very calming. It can be very peaceful. And if you can stay for a full three or four breaths at a time, it might just help you to keep your mind clear so that you can actually go to sleep. If you wouldn't mind, Tash, give me an idea of what it means to you when somebody uses any of the words that are generally used in mental illness in labeling somebody. I know I had a very strong reaction mm. uh, from you when we were having our conversation. So if you can give me a general on how you feel about that. Yeah, and, and this is more of my personal opinion too from just the experience over the last uh, oh, nearly 20 years in the field. Obviously, we all label everyone, um, even if you don't have a mental illness, because in a way, it's a form of keeping you safe. Oh, this person has this. You are this. You are schizophrenic. Um, it's it's an arrogance. It's a presumption, a presumption that you are well and someone else is sick. Um, obviously, it's manifested and promoted through the medical system over years and years and years. Um, it's not recovery based. It doesn't take in the fact of people's life experiences, um, how people cope. Um, it's also a judgment on your way of life too. Not necessarily everyone can just be in their house and drink on their sofa if they've had a bad day. Some people are on the streets. If you're on the streets and you want to escape, there's nowhere to go. Therefore, 
drugs are a way of escaping. Who are we to judge that person to say, oh, well, they're just doing drugs because they want it? No, maybe they're actually, their life is so bad and they're on the streets because they have no health, no, have no support, that that is the place that they can go to be safe, even though, you know, we see it as an addiction and they're just some crack user. So it's looking at, um, so these labels of mental illness it's not recovery. It's not saying, um, you know, I'm just having a bad time right now. I'm not able to cope right now. I'm trying to cope in the best way I can. You label me, you give me drugs that affects my brain, changes my whole life pattern, and then I'm stuck on these drugs. So I do get very annoyed with some of the labeling. Yes, there are traits of illness, but I think we should really step back and say who are we to judge if someone hears voices. Everybody hears voices. Is there anything wrong in hearing voices? If the voices are hurting you or making you do things that are unsafe for you and others, then yes, let's provide a space so that person can can learn to listen or control these voices. But just because you hear voices does not necessarily mean you are schizophrenic. I love that. That is a great, great way to look at it. I wish we could be that holistic in our look of people. So... If somebody were to turn around and start excusing these people as far as their behavior is concerned, I know way too many people that will turn and say, there's nothing wrong with that person. They're lazy. There's nothing wrong with that person. They've taken the easy way out. There's nothing wrong with that person. They have absolutely no willpower. How do you even begin to have a conversation mm. with people like that when you're you? Um... Because that you must have, you must have people. Yeah, we hear it all the time. Yeah. We hear it from family. We hear it from yeah. staff that are burnt out. Um, I think what's most important is just to turn the reflection back. You can't ever change someone's mind. People who say very judgmental and very vague, open statements like that obviously have an ignorance. Um, they're quite happy to be in their ignorance. Um, maybe they do need education. Maybe being able to say, hey, like the reason why this person is acting like this is because they're on medication to stop them being in psychosis, but it makes them um, feel like they're walking in jelly. Most people on medication don't want to be on this medication because it numbs them down. Like we hear things like, I'm being mummified from the inside out. Um, I used to be really vivacious and have low energy and lots of hobbies. And now I can't even read one page. I can't focus. We have to look at the way medication affects people. If we are willing to say you are sick, this is and we don't have supports in the community for you, therefore you need to drug yourself up so you become more acceptable to the wider society, then we have to understand the effects of medication and how it can change people. So yes, maybe education and information is key for people who who are maybe confused and a lot of times scared about being around people um, that have had mental illness. But also if there is just a general lack of wanting to engage in the conversation and wanting to learn more than its reflection back on that person. Who are you to judge anybody else? What are you doing in your life that makes you better than that person? And, and just turn that kind of conversation back. And I'm sure as parents, you might hear things whispered in the, in the garden or in the playground and things like that. And it's knowing 
um, that it's someone else's ignorance and someone else's um, judgment and not to take it on for yourself. But but be proactive in educating someone about illness and about the effects of medication. But if it's an engagement of I know better, they are saying I know better than you walk away. We end up as parents talking a lot about how the system is broken and being frustrated with having to try and get our kids help and it's not coming forth. We can't seem to get anywhere with anything. I'd like to ask you the opposite question and where do you think it's working? How do you think from your side of things, where where is it going well? I think, um, well, just using my own agency, for example, the merging of a housing first model with a recovery model. Um, it's a progressive way of thinking. It's uh, looking at an individual holistically, which is a term, you know, that means just encompassing everyone's life. We all have different aspects in our life. We have personal life, sex life, relationships, work life, employment life, housing life. So to focus on just one thing is not necessarily very effective, but to look at a person as a whole, how I would want anyone to look at myself as a whole, and I think everyone else has a right to, to, to be seen as a whole individual with everything that they bring to the world, looking at from a strength base rather than a lack of base. So I think that that is one movement forward that I hope momentum stays on, and I, and I think that it's, it's a complex but very exciting time to see these two models merging together to form a really good standard of service for individuals. I see having more focus on, because it's getting more funding, which is great, is peer support. To have somebody who with lived experience partake in their own journey of recovery, share that journey with others. Everyone's journey is different, but it's sharing experience. It's sharing knowledge. It's, it's sharing um coping skills, strategies. It's allowing a space for peers to get together without a clinician. This person, you know, who has a piece of paper and a pen or maybe a laptop and they and so actually form a group, a supportive group for themselves. They take ownership of the group. The group emerges. They, they develop um, group life skills uh, programs and then that's taking into other different aspects of, of mental health, for example. So we have hearing voices groups, we have peer support groups. Um, I think the realization is that it's just not enough to have a case manager, an individual helping guide or helping support you along your journey. What we've found with our needs assessment, which is our mental health assessment, um, called OCAN, if anyone's interested, it's a province based assessment to try and standardize some of the dialogue that people are having with clients and individuals with mental health and addictions that there's three key things that people are identifying like individuals with um, mental health issues are identifying is loneliness an ability inability or lack of skill in coping with their own symptoms and housing so let's listen, which is, I think, great. Now we're beginning to listen to what people have to say. And by we, I mean, like, I am part of the system. I am, um, you know, someone who is working as a clinician or as a manager in a mental health field. And I think it's what is positive is that there is a change now and it's more client focused. It's more individual led. I mean, how more effective is that going to be? This mm -hmm. is what I want. 
this is what I need. This I'm just looking, I'm looking for this. I want to know how to cope with my psychosis. I want to be able to understand when I'm starting to step into psychosis so I don't go so deep in. So I know that I can look for help and how to look for help and how to communicate. Because sometimes, you know, there's a breakdown in communication and people get a bit scared of people who might be turning, going into their psychosis or might dipping into a deep depression. And it's being able to give that individual some skills to be able to say, I'm dipping, help me here. You know, this is not, anger may be a manifestation of something, but it's also a cry for help and it's a cry for support. So there are some exciting things and, and I think the Canadian system is finally looking outside its borders and looking into Europe and looking into Australia to look at some of these more progressive ways of working. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Big question, I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've thought of this. If somebody gave you $25 million oh, God, God. <laughs> and said, do something for the system in the confines of where you're at in it, what would you do with it? Where would you put it? Where do you think biggest resource should be right now where should we be moving I would probably leave my job <laughs> because ideally and I'm a bit of a control freak um I would like to set my own stuff up mm -hmm. um and that's no judgment on my current agency which has numerous funding avenues and numerous and many and plenty great programs running in the city but I think that I would uh I, from what my experience and from what I'm learning through this needs-based assessment is really like, it, it kind of, had, we had a, I had a profound effect, it had a profound effect on me when we got our reports uh, a couple of months ago. And I would like to make a center which is very low threshold, which means anybody can come, um, doesn't mean that you have to be sober, it doesn't mean you have to be clean, it's just really an open door policy, which Fred Victor does have too, um, because I'm controlling, I have my own agency now, um, <laughs> and uh, I would also have it, so so basically, so 25 million is a lot, but I wouldn't make it a residential, because I do think there are enough residential places, but I would make it into a hub, so like I've mentioned, peer support, I will funnel so much money into this peer support program, really having um, people working for different agencies, you know, going out and doing groups in all these different agencies that are very underfunded. So instead of not paying peers the same as you would pay someone with a social work degree, pay them what they're worth. Pay everybody the same. Just because you're, you're a peer support worker doesn't mean that you should get less. Um, so really, I would put my money where my mouth is, I think, and um, really invest in that peer support. I'd invest in a lot of groups, but make these groups um, available across the city and, and also into like the rural areas, which really tend to get overlooked. I would also love to do things like retreats. I mean, I've had the benefit of going on a retreat. You know, I lived in an ashram and I can see how being away from your everyday life, being away into the countryside or somewhere completely different, maybe for the first time ever, I've seen this with children in the retreats that I've done with children, why adults would benefit totally to it. So have some kind of retreat in 
the boonies somewhere north of Bloor, um, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere near a lake, and and being able to like bus people out there, have really good programs, have really more artistic and creative and outdoorsy type of programs to get people. Um, you know, out of their heads, you know, and into the into the countryside to be able to explore maybe some of the creativity that they have inside that isn't really tapped in because they're just surviving in the city, right? It's a lot about survival for people who are um, have a mental illness or addictions or both. And I think we forget that um, everyone has strengths and passion and, and, you know, let's provide a space for these people or for people with mental illness to begin to explore that. So that would, that's where I would spend the money. And I think I would have horses. Even though I don't like them. I know people do like them and they're very therapeutic. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I guess, well, I guess animals of all kinds are very uh, therapeutic, but horses, yeah, there's something uh, about a horse. Apparently I don't understand horses Me myself. I've never really been around them, but I saw the horse whisperer. So I'm <laughs> impressed with that. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Um, okay, one last one here, if I may. How important would you say, I've had other people speak on this podcast about uh, specifically nutrition mm. and specifically uh, food, um, meditation and yoga, or should we just use one? Which one would you recommend uh, the most to people that are mentally ill and essentially to their parents who look after them and have to advocate for them and have their own drill of um, challenge? Um, I wouldn't pick one. I think that um, the body and the human being is an organic organism that requires balance. So a lot of us are out of balance in our lives. There's something that has more focus over another, we're out of balance. We eat certain foods, we're out of balance. We don't exercise or we exercise too much, we're out of balance. So I think, you know, if if I was to say, I would say, if your money um, can handle it because this is another issue. Affordable, affordable housing is obviously a big issue, but affordable, good organic food. I know I can't afford it all the time. I know that a lot of my clients who below the poverty line do not have access to this. So I'm not presuming you have access to this. So part of my 25 million, I would also have this like big farm and I'd give out loads of vegetables and stuff. Um, but if you can access more, more natural food look at the ingredients on things um if you can and you have the time make it yourself if you can and have the time spend the time with your children to make it with them or do something in a group if you have a group um you know and and you're off work and and there's five people who you've been hanging out with um, who have children who have got mental health, you know, issues, then hang out with them and cook. People talk over food. People discuss and share over food. And I think that's really key. And teaching children, no matter what age, like what good nutritious food is, is a benefit for them for when they're older. So first of all, just cut down all the sugar, fats, fake food go natural, see what's actually in the outside aisles of the supermarket rather than the inside aisles of the supermarket. Um, look at the food guide, you know, use common sense when it comes to food. Um, also, by cutting out a lot of the fake stuff, 
it affects your energy. So just being a yogi and a hippie, like everything you put in your body does affect you. And you know that when you've had a drink and you know that when you've eaten a bag of crisps and it doesn't mean you have to stop it, but it just means having an awareness of how you can change your vibration. Um, so keeping the food natural, I'm a yogi, but I still eat meat. I find it hard to give up meat. And I think my body actually needs some kind of meat. Um, but you know, so getting to know what works and what doesn't work, getting to know what triggers stress in your body or gives you flashes or, or anything like that, I think is key. At the same time, you don't have to sit on a rock for 12 hours and close your eyes and be cross-legged either for meditation, providing, um, a small space in your living living quarters, whatever that may look like, with no TV, no clock, just natural light, maybe a pillow or a chair. You don't have to, you know, sit on the floor either to meditate. You can stand, you can sit on a comfy couch. Just a, a quiet space that you can go to for even two minutes a day. Meditation is not about clearing the mind, it's letting go of things. So like I say in my classes, you know, you're going to have thoughts, you know, I'm telling you to still the mind and you've got all the, you just hate me because I'm saying still the mind, but you have all these thoughts that are in your head, begin to try to see the thoughts, but don't have attachment to the thoughts. So it's like clouds in the sky. I see them, they're going to be there. But can you begin to detach a little bit from the stories that they have or the feelings that these thoughts bring up in you? Um, and so sitting in just quietness, even if it's two minutes a day, I think is very beneficial. And obviously, I'm going to promote the yoga, just stretching the body, dropping the mind into the body and actually beginning to feel yourself is not easy. But I think it's very beneficial because the body has a very ancient language. Um, I don't even understand that. So when I say that, I, I want to justify it, but I can't. I've just experienced it myself. I've lived in very high stress through my job. I was sick. My body had to get to the point where it got cancer for me to realize what I was doing. I stopped work. So that's how much you can ignore your body. You can literally cut yourself off by the neck still do everything with your body and not realize that it's knocking at the door saying, Jesus, help, something's wrong. Something has to change. Um, so by doing yoga, even though it's not sometimes a nice experience, you get to really listen and take some time to feel yourself, feel your body and catch things before they get too far. And it also feels really good when you stand on your head. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks for listening to Different from the Other Kids, made possible with the support of Burlington Fitness and Racket Club. Why go to a gym when you can be part of a club? You can find them online at www.burlingtonfitness.ca. Music and editing is a product of Among the Crowd Productions. You can hear more at www.amongthecrowd.ca. We'll see you next week. And now a disclaimer. In general, I, Angela Sunis, am not a doctor, and I certainly don't play one on the internet. I'm a parent, period. The advice from me presented on different from the other kids does not replace advice received directly from a medical health professional. If you think you need help, I do recommend making an appointment with your physician or other appropriate health care provider. <laughs>